the text uh, is actually Isaiah 53, verse 4, but I'll read verses 3 and 4. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask you to have it penetrate deeply into our minds, into our hearts, into our souls, and that you would change us through its power. We thank you, Father, for the gift of the Holy Spirit that resides within your children. And we ask you, Father, to glorify yourself through your word and through my words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The last time I spoke, I spoke on Isaiah 53.3. And what I covered was the fact that we despised Jesus. And let me refresh you. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. And yet, the verse for today is actually quite similar to this. And let me read it again. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. And so there is a a direct corollary between these verses. And let me uh, focus on them. In the second sentence of verse 3, we read this, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And yet down in the first start of verse 4, we read, surely he has borne our griefs. So griefs occurred there. And carried our sorrows. Sorrows occurred there. And also if you uh, read the last sentence in verse 3, and we hid as it were our faces from him, he was despised and we did not esteem him. And then when we read the latter part of verse 4, Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. So again, there's this corollary. But yet, as you focus on it, and as you really try to uh, get to the differences between them, there is a fundamental difference between verse 3 and verse 4. Like I said last time, uh, verse 3 is about us despising Christ. And here in verse 4, we read a little bit more concerning this grief and sorrow. Because see, in verse 3 it said, He is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That is Christ's sorrow, Christ's grief. And yet when we look in verse 4, we read this. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. So now we see that the grief and sorrow is ours. It's not Christ's, but it's ours that he has borne on our behalf. And so now we see that when we look back at verse 3, the grief and sorrow mentioned there that was reflected by Christ because I'd mentioned that he never is recorded as having laughed in the flesh on this earth. And yet we, we read a couple times that he wept. So there was this grief and sorrow that colored his whole life. And that was not only for what he was enduring in his own, for his own sake, on his own uh, earthly uh, nature, but also on our behalf, what he was enduring in his spirit on our behalf of his children. So the grief and sorrow is ours that we're talking about in verse 4. And then, too, where we see the word esteemed again brought up. He bore our griefs and our sorrows, but we did not esteem him. 
So we did not acknowledge, we did not even recognize that he was bearing our griefs and our sorrows. And even if people did, they really couldn't relate to it. And I have a feeling, and I want to share that with you, that there's something much more going on here. When we read at the latter part of verse 4, we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. I want you to reflect on that now with what I'm going to share from John. In John 9, beginning at verse 1, uh, Jesus is walking along with his disciples. And they're outside the temple. And the disciples look down and see a man blind from birth. And they look to Jesus and they say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? What's the implication in that question? What's the implication? That this man deserves to be blind. That's the implication, right? This man deserves to be blind. What is that getting at in what mankind collective is, is suffering from? We suffer from sin, right? And yet so often we regard it as only the just suffering for our sin. And so those disciples just assume that this blind man deserves to be blind. Else, I guess he wouldn't be blind, right? And so, in other words, we associate anything that we suffer on this earth with there being justice served upon us. And let's dig deeper there. I'm reading a book now called The Profiler, and it's about a woman who actually believed that a young man who was boarding in her home and had been for a few weeks killed a young woman out on a walkway behind her home. And yet the police wouldn't take her seriously. She collected all this evidence and went to them with this evidence, and they just scoffed at her, these detectives, because they thought, what would this homemaker know about crime? And so she took this as a personal affront, and she, skilled, uh, she became a skilled profiler. She came to understand over a course of four or five years of research what motivates criminals, how they behave, what they do. And so then she went on to offer these services for free to people who were the victims of crime or the families of the victims of crime, perhaps who had been murdered. And she's written up all these little vignettes in her book. And some of them, you see, oh, these poor people that were killed. And they're not getting justice through the police departments that were supposed to investigate the crimes because she's done her profiling has ample evidence to point at a person being guilty and the police have never even considered that person. And that person didn't even know, the killer didn't even know the victim. And so where is the justice in that? See, police, I remember as a teenager reading a book called City Cop and cops have a coping mechanism and that is the victim deserved it. That's just how cops behave. I mean, they really regularly, routinely believe that whatever it is that has happened to people, they deserved it. They're just like Christ's disciples. But what really can't allow them to do that is when they're dealing with crimes against little children. Because they think, well, that kid didn't deserve that. And that's what really devastates cops, is cops that are dealing with some victim that is so young as they could be considered entirely innocent and just an innocent victim in this. And yet what I want to point out, though, is that there is yet this underlying practice that we all participate in, in regarding people as guilty. They deserve what they get. And we all do this. We all think like this. And yet it's not always the case. Some people don't deserve what has happened to them. And they should have our empathy 
not our ju judgment upon them. So now, let me share another example of this at work. In uh, the movie Amistad, it's a, just a great movie that portrays the gospel in a very, very clear illustration. There are these Africans who have been taken captive over in Africa and then attempted to be sold as slaves down in Cuba, but they are instead, they take over the ship and they end up sailing it and landing off the coast of Massachusetts. And so now here are all these Africans that are captured and thrown into prison. And they're trying to, over time, defend themselves. We were just victims here. We didn't deserve to have this occur to us. There are these Christians uh, that are trying to witness to these Africans. And this one man has this Bible in his hands. And the African grabs it from him and he walks into the prison with it. So now you've got this, this African named Yombo, I think his name was. But anyway, he's reading this book. He's not reading it. He's just looking at the pictures. But he's sharing with the leader, this man called Sinke, about these pictures. And he says, I want to show you something. He says, these people suffered more than us. And then this baby was born and changed everything. Look, the sun follows this boy around. And then they showed that, that halo that is always drawn in all those medieval paintings. And so he thought the sun is following this Jesus around. But he said, then he was killed. And that's when Sinke said, that's a storybook. He said, that man did something. He, he must have done something. And then this guy said, but we didn't do anything. He's standing there. We're in prison. We've been in prison for a long time now, and we didn't do anything. So how can you tell me that that man did something? So he pointed out the fact that that's just how we tend to think. We always think they're guilty. If the police say they're guilty, they're guilty. If the judge says they're guilty, they're guilty. You know? Well, if something bad happened to them, they're guilty. Why is it that we want to think that? Because we have a deep-seated sense of justice, and we want it to be satisfied. We don't want to live in an unjust world. So we make up a reality that doesn't fit the facts. We live in a world of our own imagination. We imagine it to be safe, imagine it to be fair, imagine it to be just, when in reality, it's not. And bad things, horrible things, happen to otherwise good people that didn't deserve to have this happen to them. Now, there is a uh, TV show that I watched like 15 years ago, and it had this uh, boy. It was, it was about life in the inner city, and this boy who was essentially beaten to death by his mom. The, when, the, when the police finally got involved with it, they thought the dad had done it. But as it turns out, no, the mom had never taken this boy into the doctors because she'd gotten in trouble once for taking one of her older children to the doctors after she'd beaten them and broken a bone. So this little boy never was seen outside of his home from the time of birth, pretty much. And by the age of three, he'd been starved and beaten to death by his mother. And so I looked at that, and I watched that show, and I was just broken up. It's like midnight, and I couldn't sleep, and I'm watching this horrible show. But it's reality. It's, it's, it's what our world is, and it just seems so unfair to me. And yet, at its core, that is the human story. That is what happened to Jesus. Because if you think about it, yes, there are innocent people on this earth that do not deserve to suffer for what has, in, in a way that has happened to them. But it's like I can remember uh, getting a ticket once and thinking, well, I don't deserve this ticket. But how many other deserved tickets have I missed? I, a lot. So I'm a guilty person. I didn't deserve this one, but, you know, you got me on this other one. 
it's not fair, but whatever. I'm just going to let it go because I know deep down I have this guilt that, yes, I'm a guilty person. Yet, when you really reflect on it, Jesus is the only real innocent victim ever on this earth because even young children that are born into this world that didn't deserve what happened to them like this little boy, he still is guilty of sin. His, his soul still is corrupt before God. And we all deserve death. We are all under the penalty of death. And what's really ironic about this is that Jesus, the only innocent that ever really suffered wrongly, truly wrongly for something, it's that one injustice on this whole earth that renders all of the other injustices somewhat acceptable. And why is that? Because it is the injustice committed against him that God uses to justify the ungodly. And so we are those ungodly that are justified by the innocent sacrifice of Christ. So when we ourselves or we're talking with friends and they're desperately upset about some injustice on the earth, we can share two things with them, I believe. One, every injustice ever committed on this earth will be recompensed. God is the only just judge. And in the hereafter, there will be a reckoning. And every sin will be accounted for, no matter how slight. And yet the other thing is that we personally, Christians, benefit from God's mercy in God having punished his innocent son on our behalf. And so even though it's unjust, really, God blesses us with this injustice. He executed this injustice upon his own son such that we could benefit from it. So we, I think, must counsel our fellow believers especially who cry about injustices that at the heart of the Christian gospel is this injustice that is far larger than anything that might ever happen to anyone here on earth. So all of our, the injustices committed against us pale by comparison. So as we come to the table, let's always remember that. Always remember that what we celebrate is God's mercy. And, and at its core, this injust, the injustice that was executed against Christ on our behalf in accordance with God's plan. So the world that we're in is a world of our own making, but God knew it would happen. And God made this sacrifice on our behalf. And we will one day benefit from this pure, just world that we will live in in the hereafter, absent from sin. And yet here, we have to reckon with that. We have to be ready to talk to people about the injustices they suffer and always point it to Christ. Don't be afraid to do that. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the fact that Jesus did die. Uh, we know that it was unjust. We know that he was ultimately the only true innocent that has ever suffered wrongly. All the rest of us uh, do suffer at the hands of others, but ultimately, Lord, we are condemned to die. All humans born into this earth are under the death penalty. And so we thank you, Father, for your mercy. We thank you for this plan that is so much larger than us and so much uh, more uh, beautiful than anything we could have ever devised. We ask you now to be with us. We thank you for our time together in Christ's name. Amen.